Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I'm Mark Anthony, and this is Demolition News Radio, episode 66. Today's show is going to be considerably longer than usual. It's not particularly cheerful, and aside from the fact that it centres around me, it has precious little to do with demolition either. If that doesn't sound like your cup of tea, then please feel free to leave now. But if you've ever found yourself in debt, if you've ever found yourself isolated, or if ever you've found yourself feeling truly desperate, then please take a few minutes out of your day to listen to the rest of the show. Because this is the story of how I nearly lost my house. The story of how I, together with my wife and children, would you to be evicted next week. This show is brought to you by Hydroquip, the UK's largest independent provider of on-site hose repairs. Call 0845-812-0212 for the 24-7 national call-out service. Or download the Hydroquip Job Manager app for iOS and Android devices from the App Store. I live my life in public. Now don't get me wrong, I don't consider myself famous, even in the relatively small world of demolition. But I do have a public platform. I wear my heart on my sleeve and my sleeve resides on the internet. So when I was struggling with depression following the death of my best friend in a motorcycle accident a few years ago, I spoke about it online. When I had a two-year run-in with an online stalker, I shared details of that. When I was threatened in my own house by two men that had taken against something I had written on demolitionnews.com, I wrote about it while my hands were still trembling with fear. And when I suffered a demolition accident in August last year, I posted a video of my injuries less than 24 hours after the accident happened. I did all of these things, and more, not, as some suggested, to seek sympathy. I did them all to raise awareness, in the hope that by sharing my experiences, I might help someone avoid or confront a similar situation themselves. One thing that was common with all these incidents was that I have kept them all anonymous. I never shared the name of my stalker. I've never mentioned the name of the contractor on whose site I took a brick to the head. And even though about two-thirds of the UK demolition industry apparently knows precisely who sent the boys round to my house, I've never named that company either. But in the incident that follows, I'm going to name the culprit, because that culprit is me. I got married on the 12th of May 1990 the same day that Crystal Palace were facing Man United in the FA Cup final. The day before I got married was my last day as an employed person. Two weeks later, fresh back from my honeymoon, I became a freelance journalist. In preparation for these two potentially life-changing events, I'd sought advice from a man who would become my accountant. He showed me how to file my accounts, how to record expenses, what I could and couldn't claim for, and he showed me how to reconcile a business checkbook. I've long since forgotten all of these lessons, but there was one that stuck with me. My accountant, Frank, said to me, whatever happens, never, ever upset the tax man. For the next 20 years, I would follow that advice to the letter. When I stopped following that advice, when I stopped hearing Frank's stern warning in my head, that was when things started to go wrong. That was when the wheels came off. By the year 2000, I'd been a freelance for 10 years, and things were going well. 
In fact, things were going so well that I formed a joint venture company with a guy that had previously been my editor. That company grew fast. In fact, during its first six years of existence, we consistently doubled our turnover each and every year. With hindsight, that was probably where things started to go awry. I'm not materialistic. I quite like clothes and shoes, but I've never owned an, a new car. My watch was a gift from my wife and is a first-generation Apple watch. I can go years, literally, without going on holiday. But our joint company was doing so well that we began to believe our own hype. We employed a secretary, despite the fact that both of us typed considerably faster than she did. We employed an office manager, even though the office was just three people, including the secretary, and I was only ever there twice a month. And we started to outsource our credit control, even though we knew all of our clients personally. Needless to say, we were heading for a fall, and that fall, when it came along, was both spectacular and tragic. The market experienced a major slowdown, and the rise and rise of our turnover quickly became a fall and fall. My business partner took it hard, harder than any of us realised. The company was in debt to the tune of just under £40,000. Now that's enough debt to make it difficult to sleep at night, but it's hardly insurmountable. Sadly, my partner couldn't see a way out. I received a phone call one afternoon from our office manager to say that my business partner had taken his own life. He left behind a wife and six children. Our joint company folded, but I managed to cling on to some of our clients and started to go it alone once again. I took a fair bit of debt with me, including a sizeable chunk owed to the dreaded taxman. As Frank had predicted, these are not the best people to piss off, and sure enough, they smelled blood. Now I paid them, I paid them a lot. My problem was that I was paying so much in back tax that my current tax liability was going unpaid, and it was growing, growing fast. All of which came to a head in November 2015, when the taxman had me well and truly backed into a corner with nowhere left to run. I had no choice but to take out a bridging loan against my house, the house where myself, my wife, and my four children and two boxer dogs live. The house from which I work and which I jokingly refer to as Demolition News Towers. That bridging loan was scheduled to run for a year, and while the amount outstanding plus the interest it would accrue was sizeable, I signed on the dotted line, safe in the knowledge that, with a bit of belt tightening, I could pay it off in the allotted time. Then 2016 hit. I'd been in pretty poor health for several weeks with stomach cramps and the like. I was then taken seriously ill with what I thought was food poisoning. It turned out that my appendix had burst. That had filled my stomach with ulcers. Many of my organs became infected, and by the time I was rushed into hospital, my body had started to shut down. I was thankfully unaware of this at the time, but when my wife asked the doctor how bad I was, he responded, We will know more if he makes it through the night. Now obviously I did make it through the night, but the battle was far from over. I was in hospital that time for three weeks. I was readmitted when the remnants of my burst appendix became infected. I was readmitted again to have those last remnants removed. All told I lost just over two months of work, which when you're self-employed is like a death sentence. I'd been out of hospital for a little over a month when I set off for a demolition site near Cheltenham in August last year. I left that site in an ambulance, and I wouldn't work for another three weeks. 
and since then I've lost a further month and a half with hospital appointments and surgeries to fix my shattered eye socket and to try to fix my damaged vision. Suddenly my bridging loan went from being a steep hill to an insurmountable mountain. The deadline to pay it back came and went and the threatening letters started to arrive. And my initial thought was a remortgage. Failing that, the house would have to be sold. You see, I'm what is known in the trade as property rich and cash poor. I have a nice house in a nice town in a nice county. It's not Downton Abbey, but it's more than adequate for my family. But in terms of cold hard cash, I live pretty much a hand-to-mouth existence. I bought the house off plan in 1999, and thanks to the rise and rise in property values, I had enough equity in the house to pay back the debt many times over, while still being able to afford another home for my wife and children. But things have changed in the near two decades since I last took out a mortgage. And rather than being greeted with open arms by banks impressed by the size of the deposit I had amassed, I was greeted instead with closed doors and apologetic faces. My outstanding debt with the bridging loan company had turned my credit score into a barren wasteland. Financially, I had become Harvey Weinstein, tainted and unclean. So in October this year, we finally found a lender that was willing to overlook my credit score and to focus instead on the fact that I had a lot of equity in my house and that my income had either been stable or rising for the past five or six years. The timing seemed perfect. My wife turned 50 in July, and to celebrate, we had booked for the pair of us to go on a cruise at the end of October, our first holiday in two years. By this time, our original bridging loan company had lost all patience. They applied to the courts and got an eviction order against us that would allow the bailiffs to take possession of our home on the 27th of October this year. But the new loan was scheduled to complete on the 20th of October, the very day we were scheduled to board our cruise ship. It was as if the gods were smiling on us at last. We were literally driving through the port of Southampton when my solicitor called to say that the money was about to be transferred and that he would confirm its arrival the following day. Aware of our situation, he said, have a good trip and I'll speak to you when you get back. I parked the car, we boarded the ship and made our way to our cabin. The phone rang. It was the solicitor again. His message was short and to the point. Are you on the ship? I said we were. Then you need to get off. Something's gone wrong. We collected our bags and disembarked, still not entirely sure what could have gone wrong. It transpired that an 11th hour credit check against my name had revealed two bankruptcy petitions against me. One for when I allegedly ran a minicab and taxi service in Nottingham, which I never have, and another for when the taxman declared me bankrupt in November 2015, which they never did. Despite the fact that all parties were seemingly aware that these two petitions were completely incorrect, the loan had stalled and I was now just a week away from a second and final eviction order being lodged. My solicitor, who had been supportive yet painfully truthful throughout, made our position clear. You're out of options, he said. Unless we can get those bankruptcy petitions removed, there will be no second chances. What followed will probably go down as the worst month of my entire life. And coming from a West Ham supporter, that really is saying something. I was spending hours each day on the telephone trying to speak to the right person in the right department of HM Revenue and Customs. I was passed from one office to another. I was assured that I would be called in three days and that the petitions would be lifted. Seven days later, I was still waiting. Every knock at my front door caused panic. 
What if the eviction order had been granted and this is the bailiffs coming to throw us out on the street? While all of this was going on, I'd been seeking out rental properties that we might all move into should the worst happen. Finding suitable houses wasn't too hard. Finding landlords that were willing to overlook the ongoing legal case against me was harder. And finding houses that were willing to accommodate our two dogs was proving impossible. During the many sleepless nights in November, I pretty much resigned myself to sleeping in the car with the dogs rather than sending them off to boarding kennels. So just over two weeks ago, I finally stumbled across the right person with HM Revenue and Customs. She initially told me I'd need to apply to the High Court to have the petitions removed. I explained our situation, that we were facing eviction, and after a lot of pleading, she said she'd be able to get the paperwork to my solicitor within three days. And then, things took an even more surreal twist. Now to be honest, I have no emotional attachment to this house whatsoever. I could walk away tomorrow and never look back. But this is our family home, and the thought that my actions and inactions had made my wife homeless while destroying my children's inheritance was now haunting me. When I'm at work, I sit with my back to the window that looks out of the front of my house. In the reflection of my computer screen, I can see people walking past. I see the postman arrive. Last week, I saw a blue flashing light go by, and then I saw it come back. Lo and behold, just a few seconds later, there was a knock at my door. I opened it to find a, a tall, young and concerned looking police officer stood on my doorstep. He asked if I was Mr Anthony. When I confirmed that I was, he asked to come in. Now my wife was out shopping that day. My eldest daughter has since moved out and two of my kids were at work. I immediately feared that something had happened to one of them. Turns out the police officer was there to see me and not because I'd done anything illegal. The lady I'd spoken to at HMRC had apparently been concerned for my mental well-being and had called the police because she feared I might do something rash. I spent the next 30 minutes or so assur assuring the police officer that I was of sound mind. And I really was. After my best friend was killed a few years ago, I spent about six months on happy pills to fend off a growing bout of depression. Yet throughout the financial trials and tribulations, possibly because I had no choice but to carry on, make calls and try to salvage the situation, my mental health had remained rem remarkably strong. While the police officer was still in my kitchen, my wife came home and she too assured him that, while I was a lot of things, I wasn't suicidal. He eventually left, but only after informing that, me that, due to the nature of the call from HMRC, I had been placed on a vulnerable adults register. Thankfully, while I was staring down the barrel of an unexpected and unplanned trip to a secure unit, my solicitor and the financial bods were weaving their magic in the background. The original bridge, bridging loan company finally got an eviction order that was scheduled to allow them to take possession of my house on the 12th of December next week. But the refinance went through last week, just in the nick of time. The house is saved. Now I could and perhaps should have kept this story to myself. Let's face it, it hardly shows me in a positive light now, does it? But I'm not the only one facing financial uncertainty. There are men and women up and down the country that, often through no fault of their own, find themselves in financial difficulty. Given the current state of the UK economy, I fear that situation is not, not likely to alter any time soon. A few years ago, my wife saw a guy sleeping rough in the park close to our home. For a few weeks, we delivered hot meals to him every evening. 
I got to talking to him one night, and he explained how he came to be sleeping on a park bench with winter approaching. He'd been made redundant from work. His wife had grown frustrated at his inability to find another job, and here he was, homeless. Now, it would have taken an extremely unfortunate turn of events for me to end up in that same situation, but such an outcome was not impossible. I will not take my home for granted ever again. In fact, I'm going to have that final eviction order framed and placed on my desk as a constant reminder of just how close we all are to financial despair. Aside from reinforcing Frank's advice to never upset the tax man, this episode, which has dragged on for the past two years, has taught me a lot of lessons. It's taught me that no amount of burying your head in the sand will make problems like this go away. It's taught me that the only person truly able to resolve situations like this is you, or in this case me. It's taught me to seek advice as early as possible. It's also taught me a couple of valuable life lessons. First of all, it's taught me that you need friends. Since my best friend died, this is an area in which I am sadly lacking. Looking back, I pretty much placed all my friendship eggs in that one basket. With him gone, I now found myself surrounded by people, but largely alone. That's something I intend to address. Another key life lesson is one that came directly from a mate of mine, and it's simply this. Before you do anything, take care of the people six feet around you. Like I said previously, while I wasn't looking forward to the prospect, I was largely unfazed at the thought of spending a few nights sleeping in a car with my dogs. What bothered me, and what nearly broke me, was the impact my actions were having on my family. I will not subject them to that again. Now, despite what I said about a lack of friends, I did receive a lot of support from a lot of very different people that one way or another have become aware of my predicament. And a good many of them are in the demolition industry. For various reasons, most of them wouldn't want to be named here, so I won't mention them by their full name. But I would like to say a huge thank you to the following. To Andy, Steve, John, Nick, Matt, Mick, Mike and Michael, the other John and Ben. And most of all, I'd like to thank my wife Ruth for her strength and her resilience. If she'd been in her right mind, she would have kicked me out. Then again, if she'd been in her right mind, she probably wouldn't have married me in the first place. But instead, she stood with me shoulder to shoulder, and together we won through. I owe Ruth and a whole bunch of other people a huge debt, a debt that thankfully is far less daunting than the one I owed the tax man. If you've come this far in the story, you'll be pleased to hear that we're nearly at the end now. It's important that I point out that while I personally have been struggling financially, the Demolition News Company has never been stronger. Our circulation is already the biggest in the business and it continues to grow. And we're also attracting new advertisers all the time, which is why the next edition of the Demolition Magazine is yet another bumper issue. The fact is, simply, that while advertising pays my wages and the wages of several others, it has a nasty habit of arriving in dribs and drabs and never in sufficiently large slugs to pay off a growing debt. But as you will see in 2018, we're big now and we're getting bigger. I also want to make it clear that this extended radio show is not some kind of audio begging bowl. I do not expect and I do not want an industry-wide whip round. The truth is that by listening to this show, by subscribing to the magazine or the website, 
by watching one of our videos on Demolition TV, by becoming a Demolition Club member, by buying one of our books or one of our t-shirts. You've already played your part. The more people that engage with us on the website or on social media, the more we can charge for advertising. So, just by being here, you've already done enough. And so, that is the end of my sorry tale. As you can probably imagine, I'll be genuinely glad to say goodbye to 2017. It's been a truly awful year, and I now hope that I can start 2018 with a clean slate and a clean bill of health. If this story resonates with you in any way, then please feel free to get in touch. I don't have a secret stash of money that I can hand out, but having been through the mill myself, I know the best route to take. Better still, I'd recommend that you call the National Debt Line or seek support and advice from an organisation like Step Change. The sooner you seek advice, the sooner you can start to fight back. I've already taken way up way too much of your time, and to be frank, I still have money to earn in, or in order to avoid finding myself in this situation again. So thanks for listening. And please, if you know anyone that's facing a similar financial struggle, particularly this time of year, please share this with them. And thanks again. If you would like to help support this show, Demolition News or the Demolition Magazine, please consider becoming a patron. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash demolition news to find out more.